In space, there are games of legend. Giants and behemoths of the past. They have gone dark and cold, their signal faint to us. All players were once forced to play alone. But these games are not forgotten, they remain in our memory. And now we shall go back and make them live once more. This is Retrolave. Welcome to Retrolabe, a journey back in time through computer gaming's finest space sims. Each week we gather together a group of gaming veterans to roll back the years and relive the glory in search of what made these games special. This week's feature is Tacky on the Fringe by Novalogic. Okay, so joining us on the call tonight we have Colin Ford. Hello, normally known as Phoenix Defy. Grant Walcott. Hello, yes and I am Seiko Coat. James Vigel. Hello, I'm known on the forums as One Vigor. Roy Scarlett. Hello, and I'm known on the forums as Rory Scarlet. Simon Winnard. Hello, I'm Simon Winnard, and known on the forum as Lifterise69. And finally, the Grand Pooh Bar himself, Mr. Alan Stroud. Hi, I'm known on the forums as Alan Stroud. <laughs> Excellent. Now, before we go into this week's feature, which is Tacky on the Fringe, we're just going to bring together a quick section that we're starting on this show. One of the things we discussed last week when we were playing Wing Commander Privateer is the fact that you know we only get a very small window on a Monday night when we're playing these games of about two hours to immerse ourselves into what the game was actually like. One of the things that we found out last week is that two hours just wasn't enough time to do justice to some of these older games which have quite a slow pacing and quite a big build-up before the game starts to really show what it's capable of and the enjoyment levels. So what we're doing from now on is we're bringing in a new section of the podcast called the Vanguard section. And what happens with the Vanguard section is at the end of each show, we're basically going to randomly select one member of the team to cover our rear and stay behind and play the game for an entire week and then report back to us the following episode as to whether or not that game actually did improve with a bit more game playing time or whether or not it was just as bad or as good as we discovered in the first couple of hours. So I'd like to introduce our first Vanguard of the podcast, and that is Colin Ford, who quite generously stayed behind and played Wing Commander Privateer for a week. Colin, what did you find out? Well, I found out that we were completely right. The Troy system that we were in, it was more like a tutorial than anything else. The main problem that you had was that you had to do a heck of a lot of grinding to get your ship up to a point where it was actually playable. For instance, it took about six or seven hours to get enough cash together to upgrade the ship so that it could tell who the bad guys were. And then once you got your jump dry, you jumped straight out to the next system with a difficulty level ramped up yet again. However, it did come alive with a story. When you did talk to the bar people and other members of the guild, because there was the merchant guild and there was the mercenary guild, you ended up getting more in-depth story and getting dragged into it a little bit more. What about different ships, Colin? Did you manage to save enough money to get into a different ship? I did manage to upgrade to one, which was kind of the next fighter up. And it moved faster. It was able to handle the components better. They did have a nice little bit of modelling. For instance, you couldn't have the top of the range equipment because your ship wasn't good enough to handle it. So you had to progressively upgrade to the best level of equipment that your ship could handle and then upgrade to the next ship to get the next level of equipment. You could actually see the roots of the other stuff like Freelancer and Privateer the Darkling. They all seem to start here and they all seem to follow the same model of you need to trade and grind for a bit before you get the next bit of a plot. Okay, and what about the plot? I mean, how much of it did you manage to uncover in the time that you played during the week? 
It's just got to a bit of vague rumours about the fact that ships were disappearing. No one knew why. And not only were trading ships disappearing, but Confed fighters were disappearing. And so were Karathi fighters disappearing. So there was this slow ramp up of the tension. And then you still had to deal with the retros, who were the religious nuts that we were discussing last week. Okay, so by the sounds of it, Colin, even with an entire week's worth of play, you didn't really scratch the surface of the ongoing plot throughout the game, which suggests there's a lot of game playing time in that title. Oh yeah, there is an awful lot of game playing time. And like I said, it's the constant iteration of you've got to run the missions and then grind up to get the next piece of equipment and then kind of go up to the next level and then the next ship. Eventually, you would get to this thing called the Centurion, which was effectively the same as a rapier in Wing Commander. It was that good, but it would take you a heck of a lot of time to get there. Okay, well, um, remind me, did you give it a four or a five on the evening? I gave it a four on the evening. Has that changed? It has. You have to get past the pain barrier. But (laughs) after that, I think it deserves actually a five. (laughs) For some reason, I thought you were going to come up with an eight or a nine. No, I'm afraid not. It was a case of the old gameplay let it down. Okay, a massive thank you from all of us for going through that pain barrier because you weren't going to get many other volunteers that night to spend a week playing that game. So it's nice that it went up in the ratings. It's not really a surprise that it only went up by one point. Great job, mate. Thanks for being the first vanguard. Okay, which leads us on to tonight's episode, which is Tachyon the Fringe. Tachyon the Fringe is a first-person space flight simulator. Among several features, such as power and shield management, one unique function of this game is that of sliding, where the player can maintain a constant velocity while having free control over the orientation of their spacecraft. This allows an ease of motion where the player can strafe, fly backwards, and otherwise maintain a higher level of control over their spacecraft with a simpler, more intuitive tool. At least that's what it says in the box. The story of Tachyon the Fringe is set in the 26th century, where mankind has left Earth to colonise the far reaches of space. It has many characteristics of a space opera. The Sol system is a place of relative peace, which is kept by the police force called Star Patrol. Conflict inside the solar system is heavily regulated. However, quarrels between rivaling megacorporations who maintain private militias and compete for control over markets and resources often break out into open conflict. Sometimes banished pirates, terrorists and other disruptive entities make waves, but intercorporate conflict is the primary theme. The majority of the game takes place in the vast area called the Fringe, which consists of all space outside the direct jurisdiction of Sol. Except for an outpost in the hub region, Star Patrol has virtually no presence in this area. Because of this, power struggles are constantly raging between the game's corporations, pirate clans, Bora colonists, and the so-called Asteroid Baron. The game commanded a cult following due to the fact that the main protagonist was voiced by none other than Bruce the Chin Campbell of Evil Dead fame. Okay, folks, so I certainly can remember buying this game. I do remember the fact that it was voiced by Bruce Campbell. I don't remember anything else about the game. How many of us has actually played Tacky on the Fringe? <laughs> is that wall of silence suggesting that I'm the only person to have played this game and I can't remember it oh dear um, surely somebody else must have played this I think I played it for about two or three hours right okay and did you play it for two or three hours because you didn't like it or because someone stole it from you I think it was just one of these things that you just put back on the shelf and never got around to doing again but nobody else in the call has played Tacky on the Fringe that's hilarious so it looks like I'm the only person to have actually played this game. And as I say, it was one of the first ones I bought with my student loan money to go with my new computer. I do remember it was voiced by Bruce Campbell. I do remember it being quite funny. I remember you had to go through Tachyon Gates, which is obviously part of the reason it's called Tachyon the Fringe. It was pretty much a sandbox game. From what I can recall, the fighting in it was pretty good. I remember it being a very pretty game back in 2000. And I do remember it being quite open world. This will also be one of the first games that we've managed to 
play on RetroLave, which is actually multiplayer. So if we can get that working, uh, we'll report back on how it plays both as a single-player entity and also as a multiplayer experience. Okay, well, without any further ado then, let's boot up the game. See what we've got. Jake Logan to Dillinger Control. I just finished the escort run with the Talain. I'm coming in for some repairs and retrofits. Um, but yet again, we've got that wonderful stable of, of space sims where you've got a, you know, a hangar deck and lots of screens to take you to other areas of the game. So, what do you reckon? We've got job board, we've got TNS news, galactic map, personnel files. Should we go to TNS news and see what's going on in the galaxy? Star Patrol confirmed today. This is awesome, isn't it? Yeah. This is, this is quite nice. Elite Dangerous should have this. Exactly. So, obviously, in Elite Dangerous, we know we're talking about you know, news feeds and stuff. This has literally gone and presented you with a full screen worth. Okay, so job board. In, within the job board, you've got again various different items that you can select, and it looks like this is where our tutorial comes into play. So, contract list on the right hand side, we've got instructor training, ring training course, and combat training. So, I dare say we better do the instructor training thing and do Will the, you, the you get paid for doing training? I thought it was supposed to be the other way around. Convicted murderer Jacob Logan, formerly of Advanced Ganymede Technologies, began his permanent exile from the Sol region last week. The High Tribunal found the pilot guilty of the merciless destruction of the Halley Medical Facility earlier this year. Oh, I can't find the Pisces gate now. So, you... your shields recharge, but your hull doesn't. That makes sense. Helen, are you in this kind of nebula thing as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm just going through oh, it now. Yeah, I can see. Unfortunately, there are mines. I love the nebula, nebula effect in this. Yeah, the nebula effect's very pretty. Gotcha. Oh, listen. Damn it. <laughs> what were you I, trying I, there, Grant? I was trying. I was going for your life support. I was trying my best to get him. I knocked all the shields down, and you just popped in with one <laughs> shot. You get. <laughs> That's the twitch away. Congratulations! You made it to the Luna Sector. Before jumping to Venus, you should practice the slide maneuver. Okay, and we're back. Well, <laughs> I think that's probably our longest gaming session, which bodes well for the actual game. So we started around about 9 o'clock, and it's now 5.12, and we're just starting to do the debrief now. The extra time is possibly down to the fact that we actually got the multiplayer at long last working in a game, and sure enough, the Twitch generation representative on the team did in fact kick everybody's ass in terms of the old guard, so well done to James. We spent more time there on the actual multiplayer than we did on the actual game, but to going back to the actual game itself, we did a couple of missions of the actual campaign, and yes, sure enough, it was Bruce Campbell from The Evil Dead doing the voice of your character, which was quite entertaining. I think, but overall, guys, I think you've got to admit the level of polish in that game is certainly the best we've seen so far and granted it's a game that was released in 2000 but you know the interface where we complained in the past that you know the interface doesn't seem natural that one worked really really well the mission scripting okay we only did a couple of missions but the mission scripting seemed to work much better the control of your craft in space seemed to be a lot lot smoother and a lot more intuitive 
who's got some overall impressions they want to share? Rory? I thought it was excellent. The combat was really good fun, and you really get a feel of sliding. You can literally fly past someone and then turn your ship round, still going the same way, but you can turn around and fire back. Really good fun. I mean, I'm rubbish at the combat, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> looking at it now is just not modern looking, but the actual gameplay is very modern. Does that make sense? Yeah. James, what did you think? The combat system was clearly very tactical in the way that there was obviously the way you would outfit your weapons, uh, linking them up, switching them around, diverting power to different systems, and the sliding mechanic as well was was very cool. It would have been nice to see what the NPC AI was like, because we didn't really do that in the single-player experience, but the multiplayer combat was definitely very good. I did like that. It would be interesting to see whether they managed to get AI to a better extent than Wing Commander obviously had, because that's something we kept talking about. Yeah, well, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, this is the second show where we'll actually recruit a vanguard to continue playing. So maybe they can report back to us next week as to what the actual NPC artificial intelligence is like. Colin? I found that the actual combat itself was very, very smooth. There wasn't any of this jerkiness that you felt from, say, the last game. And on top of that, the artificial intelligence of the fighters that I was flying against, they did seem to move a little bit more intelligently and more fluid than the last game as well. It, it wasn't a case of, oh, they'll always break down to the bottom left. They did seem to have an idea to try something different. Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, whoever it is that continues playing this for the week will have to report back and let us know whether or not the NPCs are actually quite intelligent or whether or not you can pick their patterns. Simon? Yeah, I thought the slide mechanic was the thing that really caught me on the game. I really like that idea, and I think that's something Elite Danger could easily bring in. Because if you try to switch between Newtonian physics and dogfighting physics, as in fly-by-wire, I think that would be a brilliant mechanism if you could just switch it on and switch it off in that sort of slide motion. I felt that was really, really good feature of the game. I also like the linked-up feature of the weapons as well. For a few times I was blasting with both my lasers and missiles at the same time. I didn't quite get the hang of the management system, though. I couldn't work out how to send the power to my front and back shields. I thought it was one of the best games we've played by far. Yeah, the actual control system when it came to all your management aspects and changing your weapons and linking your weapons and next targets, you know, there is a, a slight complex element to making sure that you know what keys you're using and stuff. And, you know, I didn't really start enjoying it until I actually figured out which keys I needed and then was able to map them to the PlayStation 3 controller that I was using. Yeah, but once I did that, shield management and stuff became a lot easier. Just for example, on the D-pad, I had the up D-pad moving all my shields to the front of my ship and then I had the down arrow on the d-pad moving them all to my rear so depending on whether or not i was being shot from the front or behind i could just move my shields around i have to say it didn't make much of a difference when i came against james who still shot me out of space which was a bit disappointing but it does show that you know in a normal game against the non-twitch generation ai you could see how that would work quite well Okay, so what do people think about the graphics? I mean, obviously this is 2000. It's the, the latest game that we've played. I think the, uh, the next nearest one, which was Free Space, which was 1997. Rory? I thought the graphics were really very good. This game's now 13 years old. Obviously, looking at the graphics, I didn't at any point think, oh, that's a bit rubbish. It didn't enter my mind, so they must have been good enough for me to actually be enjoying the game. And that bodes really well for when we're going to be playing Elite Dangerous, because they're going to be even better than that. Okay, Alan? 
I think actually it's partially down to the motion of the objects. There's not quite the shading on the ships and some of the, the things that you're encountering that you would have in something newer. Uh, the texturing's a little bit limited as well, but the realistic motion that you're getting, um, which I think cycles back a little bit to X-Wing, I think X-Wing kind of very similar sets up in this. The realistic motion kind of takes you past the inadequacies of what you're looking at. Interesting. James? So the graphics didn't scream dated, which is definitely good. It fit the era, but it also fits nowadays, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it just doesn't seem overly dated. And I wasn't thinking about the graphics, I was just thinking about the gameplay, which is something I definitely wasn't thinking about when playing some of the other games. You know, this is something that came across in Free Space. I mean, the graphics in Free Space weren't brilliant, but compared to some of the games that we've also played, they didn't take you out of the experience. Whereas, you know, the likes of Wing Commander with its blocky graphics, you know, and its stuttering motion and stuff, that sort of did pull you out of the actual experience. Whereas Free Space, which is obviously 97, and now Tachyon, which is 2000, they're at a level where they're not actually taking you away from the game experience. Okay, we're leaving graphics to one side then. What about sound and music? Now, obviously, this one had quite a step forward in terms of things like the sound effect we had quite a lot of voiceovers we had quite a lot of acting going on in terms of the the cutscenes and the introduction obviously for the news feed there was the loop that alan and i talked about and the fact that you know which did sound like a news broadcast but was very cleverly done so you didn't see a pickup in it grand what did you think I actually think the whole soundtrack to the game was excellent. The music was immersive. It was maybe a little bit loud, but the controls allowed you to sort of customise it to the way you wanted. And the main big selling point is, I had Bruce Campbell. He was speaking in it. It was actually his voice. You know Bruce Campbell, that famous actor with the chainsaw for an arm? He was in that game. <laughs> he really was. He was in that game. That's why the game's excellent. Yeah, I think we picked up on that, Grant. Simon? Yeah, I have Bruce Campbell in it. No, the the laser sound and the missile sound in that was superb. They were they were really really good sound. They were nothing like Grant hitting a hamster from last week. <laughs> the other thing that was a little bit annoying, the engine sound could have been a bit better. I think it was a little wishy washy the sound of the engine and the afterburners sounded exactly like they did in Privateer. You could tell they were wrong kind of thing, but there was nothing that made it stand out as such. Overall, the sound quality was really good, the music quality was excellent, and yeah, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and also, I mean, one of the things that we talked about, and we'll probably touch on it again when we come to what stuff we want to carry over to Elite Dangerous, but you know, the way that they actually got the, the plot lines and the story across to you through the news feeds, yeah, the fact that the really important ones were voiced was a really, really nice touch. Uh, okay, Rory. I thought, actually, that the, the afterburner effects, I really like those, because you're trundling along with just your engines going, and then you, you hit the afterburner, and then the cockpit shakes, and there's a louder sound, and you actually feel like you're going faster, which I thought was really good, and I think the, the combination of the sound and the, the visual cue with the cockpit shaking was a good little touch. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think probably see a little bit more of that, or hopefully that's uh, taken to the next level when we see Elite Dangerous, when they're talking about the 3D cockpits and how motion and everything will have an impact on that. Alan, what's your thoughts? I was going to agree there with Rory. I think the afterburner effect was lovely. They could have streamed it slightly, you know, if they wanted to. You had motion indicated by the particles of dust that were coming towards you, and you did have variation in acceleration when that was going on. But possibly, you know, having that stream a little bit more might have worked. I did find, and just to pick up on this, I did find the engine controls were a little bit clunky. I found that speeding up and speeding down... And particularly if you slowed to a dead stop and then tried to restart your engine, that was actually quite difficult and occasionally tedious. 
I agree with you there, Alan, because it wasn't seamless, was it? As if you were pushing a throttle forward. It was very discreet rather than analogue, I felt. Something that I've seen which shows up acceleration very well is in Microsoft Flight Simulator 10, where when you accelerate, you kind of zoom out of the 3D cockpit in a way that gives you an impression that your head is being thrown back. Mm. That is really quite good. Something like that, I think, would add a nice little immersive feature. Okay, well... Putting that to one side and the story now again when it comes to the storyline we didn't spend a lot of time actually in the main game itself doing the main campaign we spent most of our time in the multiplayer so in terms of actually getting an overall opinion of what the storyline consisted of we'll probably have to wait until next week one of the things that i did like was the way that they presented missions to you obviously they have a, a mission board similar to a lot of the games that we played before but the way that they actually interact between the people giving you a contract and also your main protagonist in game there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of sort of conversation backwards and forwards which i thought worked really really well and if you take the first example of the tutorial where you're actually you know being taught how to fly your ship the way they presented that was in the format of yeah look we're very sorry we know you're a very experienced pilot however we've just got this new instructor who's just about to go off and start training rookies next week uh, what we'd really like to do before we set her loose on them we'd like you to actually be trained by her as if you were a rookie and then give us some feedback on how good an instructor she actually is which i thought worked really really well alan I was going to say that the news bulletin system and the, the mission board system seem to be very good, but there was a real lack of trade that we could determine at this stage. And if we were making a comparison to Elite Dangerous or what we want Elite Dangerous to be, it was like looking at sort of maybe 40% of it because you were actually looking at a game that seems to have a mission system, seems to have a pull through to you know, to go and do this particular plot and this particular idea, but actually the sort of sandbox elements were less developed and were less pronounced. And I think that kind of made it feel a little bit like a less involved experience than the one that I'd probably want from something we were going to look at now. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there, because the main uh, method of actually making money in the whole game was literally just about taking jobs. It wasn't about trade whatsoever that we could see. It was all about taking your contracts, and you know, as the contracts got harder and harder, obviously the remuneration got larger, and then you'd go back and you'd spend that upgrading equipment and, and ships. James? I think comparing it to a sandbox game is okay, but I'm not so sure about talking about it as if it was a sandbox game, because I don't think that's what they were really going for. I think they were going for the sort of Wing Commander mission experience rather than a sandbox elite experience. So judging it as if it was one of those, I'm not sure that's really fitting. But I, I see what you're saying about that. Alan? To be honest, though, James, if they were going for the Wing Commander experience, then the premise should have been set up with a story that immediately grabbed you and took you straight through as to what you were, what you did, etc., etc. I watched the introduction and everything else, and the introduction kind of gives you the idea that you are somebody who's there, who's, who's got a bit of freedom in terms of what you choose to do and everything else. And certainly the mission presentation is that you can pick and choose from which mission you want. So it does have a sandbox premise to it in that regard. It just doesn't have any trade options. Certainly in the multiplayer, once we got through looking at how the multiplayer works, it was great to have a bit of PvP and everything else going on. But once we got into the idea of collecting credits and power-ups and so on and so forth, it started to get a bit arcadey, which I thought was a bit of a letdown. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just continuing on on that point, I'm just looking at the back of the box, and the first thing they actually say in bold letters is, decide where you want to go and what missions you will fly as you explore the vast and richly inhabited universe, which to me sounds very sandboxy. Simon? Yeah, I just want to say, sandbox aside, that I think this is the section of Elite Dangerous that could look at the dogfighting aspect of the game. If Elite Dangerous were going to look at anything from this game, I think the dogfighting issue was quite good. I like the way you could turn your fire and you could still be flying in one direction. And I think that's the part of the, you know, if you're looking at a percentage of the game to take forward, I think that would be it. The dogfighting part of the game for me was really, really good. Yeah, interesting you say that, though. I still saw many of us actually just crash straight into each other. Roy? No, I was going to say that I agree with what Simon's saying there. If Elite was going to take anything out of that, it would be the dogfighting aspect, which was fantastic. James? So I was just going to say what you were saying in the way that we were just sort of crashing into each other. And there seemed to be a big focus around flying at each other and shooting as much as possible. And then if you don't collide with each other, fly past each other and immediately turn around so you can shoot the guy in the back. And I don't really know how they would go about changing that but i think there needs to be some other way of doing that because that is essentially what frontier did it did that automatically for you whereas in this we seem to be choosing to do that i'm not sure whether it was just our tactics or whether it was the dogfighting system itself but it's not very good tactically and it's quite repetitive and it doesn't really seem to work very well yeah okay but it's certainly something that frontier actually got very much criticized for and that the the jousting combat that we had in Frontier and First Encounters was yeah, nowhere near a patch on the arcade dogfighting that we had in Elite. Grant? Sorry, I was just going to comment on the whole dogfighting. I think the limitation in that game was, although you got a good feeling of space, it did feel like we were all stuck on that sort of linear plane. So that kind of made the jousting effect there. So, you know, you seem to be fighting on that flat level against each other. One of the tactics I quite liked in the game was spinning as I'm running away towards one of the gates and then spinning the ship around so you're facing backwards. You then go backwards through the gate, continuing to fire at the person chasing you. And where that could have been improved or just made that a little bit special was if you could continue the battle through the jump. Just to chime in on that, Grant, the key problem here is actually I cycled through and, and changed my ship and had a look through and tried to, you know, to fly a couple of different ones. And actually, there were a little bit of change in terms of your maximum speed. There's a little bit of change in terms of maneuverability, but it didn't feel like very much change at all. And certainly, the modular connection with the weapons systems, we did have options to upgrade them later on, but we hadn't, you know, obviously only scratched the surface of the multiplayer to figure out how to upgrade the weapons. But because they were modular and because all the weapons were the same for the different types of ship, it meant that actually everything felt very similar in that regard. So the different capacities of the different ships didn't feel very different. I think the experience would probably improved quite a lot if they'd have made the variation between the ships much more pronounced. The sort of tactics we were using for the dogfighting was we were fighting at a distance of what seemed to me like about 100 metres away from each other. But I can't see combat in space being fought over those kind of distances. I mean, I'm imagining them being fought over several kilometres where you probably might not even be able to see your opponent. And I think if you can target somebody who's a long way away, you might be able to target him before he even knows you're there. You've got all your stealth options going on. And then fighting the way that we were tonight is probably a last resort. 
if you don't manage to kill them before they've seen you, then they're going to turn around and start fighting back. But you want to be killing them before you've even had the opportunity to fight back, don't you, really? So I think the combat that we're seeing tonight is probably the last resort that you want to be getting into. Okay, so one of the things that we've obviously picked up there is the fact that the dogfighting, even though it was quite jousty and it was on the same sort of plane, it was good fun. And obviously that's one of the things that we'd quite like to take across into Elite Dangerous. We want the the dogfighting experience in Elite Dangerous to be fun. What else did we see in the game that we think we would like to see in Elite Dangerous or maybe that we saw in the game that we wouldn't like to see in Elite Dangerous? James? One of the things we looked at pretty much as soon as we started the game was the news system. And we had a quick discussion on this uh, while we were playing, and that was that uh, it had a very nice sort of layout, because it wasn't that newspaper sort of layout that David Braven said he wanted to avoid. And we we were talking about how that could possibly work with dynamic news events, with having maybe a, a rating system on the different pieces of news, and then just being able to see the, the highly rated ones, which are going to be most helpful to players. I think that's how we sort of talked about it possibly working. Yeah, just that sort of dynamic news system and elite. But the way they basically did it was by showing different news events, and they just had a very quick summary of what was going on. And there was a sort of ticker tape as well, which obviously screams news network at you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was one of the things that we mentioned in the game that, you know, we, as soon as we saw it, we said, yeah, you know, this is something that Elite Dangerous could really do with having a look at and, and trying to incorporate in some way. Colin? Yeah, the thing that I liked was actually the mission selector. It's such a, a nice way to actually get a mission and a, a kind of semi-briefing before you got sent out instead of just a block of text saying you need to go from A to B. And that kind of thing I could see working for the military missions in Elite Dangerous quite well. Yeah, it was. It was definitely quite a clean interface, wasn't it? Mm. One of the main complaints we've had of these games in the past has been that you know it's sometimes very difficult to actually understand what your objectives are. I thought it got that across quite well. Grant? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was just one thing that was exceptional about that game that if Elite could just bring in, it'd be perfect. Did you know Bruce Campbell was in it? Oh. See if we could get Bruce Campbell into Shut Elite. That'd up. be me, Adam. <laughs> Simon? One of the things that I liked in the game was the fact that the menu system was very easy to navigate, and I was hoping that Elite doesn't go stupid with the menu options or you don't know where anything is. They hide things behind stuff menus. Whereas in that, it was very clear and displayed where everything was. Unlike last week in the Privateer, where you just had these hanger systems and you have to go around and try and find what it was you wanted to click on. So I think they were getting more up to date with that, but I just hope the Elite make it a little easy like that to be able to do like what system you want to go in, shall we say? Okay, well, that's going to do it, I think, for the comments on this particular game. What we'll do is we'll choose our vanguard, who we're going to leave behind. And Alan, Simon, James, Rory, Grant, Colin and me are in the random name generator. And our vanguard player is... Grant, you're going to spend a week playing that game and report back to us next week. Just quickly round the team, give it a rating out of 10. Alan, we'll start with you. I think I'll probably go to a 7 for this. I think the reason is that it advertises itself as, as something very freeform, and it actually isn't as freeform, but actually what they've executed here is very polished. So I like that. Okay, Grant? Well, seeing as I'm going to have to play it for a week, I think I'll rate it about uh, seven. Okay, it'll be interesting to see if that seven climbs up when you play the actual campaign. Colin? I'm going to give it a seven pushing an eight because I thoroughly enjoyed it and I've suddenly remembered what happens next. So I think Grant's going to be in for a laugh. Okay, so 7.5, James? 
I'm going to give it an eight because even though I advertised itself as something it wasn't, it was still a very good game. So I'm not going to judge it on whether it was a sandbox or not because the game we were given was very much enjoyable. I'd like to have seen more of the single player experience. Yeah, so from what we actually played, I'm going to have to give it an eight. It's a very good game. Okay, well, you know, James, you own the game. There's nothing stopping you hanging back with Grant and playing it at the same time. So if you want to, by all means, feel free. Simon? Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight and a half, actually, because I thought it was a really good game. One of the things I'm interested in is, will I go back and play that again? And yeah, Bruce Campbell's in it. I'm going to play that again. (laughs) Okay, eight and a half out of ten, possibly more for Bruce Campbell than anything else. Rory? Yeah, I'm going to give it an 8. I think it scores high just for how much fun the multiplayer was, I think. If the single-player game can add to that, then it's going to be 8.5, I think. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I must admit, I'm going to go back to this for yeah a couple of games this week as well. So I'm going to start reasonably low. I'm going to start at a 7 and see whether or not by playing the campaign it goes up anymore. So, okay, well, that's it for this episode. All that's left for me to do is thank Alan, Grant, Colin, James, Simon and Rory. I hope you've enjoyed the journey back in time. If you'd like to join the RetroLave team to play and then record, we gather on Monday nights at 8.30pm. Add lave.radio to your Skype list and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for the latest updates. Until next time, it's game over. Tiger. I was going to say, there you go again, Simon. Premature ejaculation all over the game. <laughs> We're on your six, Fozer. Cow kills not, death four. <laughs> I don't think you want cow on your six. <laughs> Shut up. You should be no, careful or I'll come and die next to you. I can't, you know, make, make stuff out of nothing, unfortunately. <laughs> but nobody else in the call has played Tacky on the Fringe. That's hilarious. Okay, I really thought everybody else might have done. Okay, so, right. There's not a lot to talk about. <laughs> That's a cock up and half. <laughs> I like that I'm cool. getting all this praise just because I've kicked all your asses in Airfix. <laughs> yes, well, you know, your time will come. Yeah, once we start playing Monopoly online or something, you know, your ass is out. <laughs> And that's it, that's all I've got to say. It's got Bruce Campbell in it, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I think we picked up on that, Grant. 